Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. Welcome back to Champions League Takeaway, the show that reacts instantly to all the action in the Champions League. It's been a little while, but excited to get back and look at the first four games of the round of 16. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. Joining me, my host, our Champions League guru, Mr. <laughs> Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Probably better than Thomas Tuchel tonight. Uh, anyway. Look, when we ranked these teams, mate, um, Lazio were right down there. Bayern were in my top four. Did they make your top four or were they five? No, they weren't. They weren't even in five. They, and they were weren't six. even five. Yeah, you dropped them down a bit, didn't you? Well, you were right to do so, mate, weren't you? So, uh, yeah, Wednesday night, we're recording straight on the back of the, the second batch of games. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a shocker. Mm, yeah, it was. I mean, look, we saw two games today and maybe I called the wrong upset alert. Well, I yeah, definitely called the wrong upset alert. Uh, Real Sociedad lost 2-0 at the Parc de Prance to PSG and Bayern Munich lost 1-0 at the Olympico to Lazio. That was the shock so far. Everything mm. else went kind of according to the normal script. But we'll start with today's action in part two. We'll go back and take a look at what went down on Tuesday as the two teams with 100% records in the competition kept their 100% records in the competition. Mm. No surprises on Tuesday night. Dean, I think we should probably start with that shock. We should start with Bayern. What were your three takeaways from Bayern losing 1-0 to Lazio? Well, firstly, Lazio actually do have a chance of making it through after us writing them off. Um, Look, I haven't watched a lot of Lazio in uh, over 90 minutes this season, but I quickly got a glimpse of 
what to expect from them and what they do. I mean, I looked and saw that 1-0 is a very common scoreline when it comes to Lazio matches, and I can see why. They are a very hard team to break down. Um, And they basically parked the bus here. They had 39% possession, but they do that for a reason, I guess, because it contains the other team and it means that they can just look to make the most of moments. They played a low block. They made it difficult for Bayern to find spaces. And yeah, they just looked to utilise moments in the final third when they could come to life. And they got that big break in the end, in the second half, by getting a penalty. Um, Chiro Immobile is exactly the sort of person you want to step up in a moment like that. And man, that just deals with high pressure. Hadn't missed a penalty since October 2022, and there was never a single second here where I thought Immobile would not stick that ball in the back of the net. Um, look, you know when chances are going to be at a premium that you've got to have a goal scorer that you can count on, and that's what Lazio had here. Ten goals this season, which isn't an incredible record by any stretch of the imagination, before now in the Champions League, and just dependable, isn't he? Immobile is a, is a proper, proven, elite striker, I believe. Um, and yeah, Bayern paid the price for allowing him to have that moment. Um, as a bit of a side note, I mean, Azupa Meccano that gave away the pen and was shown a red card, I, it was the right decision. I mean, at first I was a bit bewildered by it. It was only once we saw the... So was I. Yeah, I, I, did, I really didn't understand what was going on. Um, but anyway, it was the right decision, clearly, once we Great saw it again. from the ref, to be fair. I mean, obviously, he's closer than we are when we're watching yeah, the Yeah, I think that was it. it I think our angle, was, our angle was bad, I think. But um, what really struck me in the moment was Joshua Kimmich got a yellow card for arguing about the... T- I mean, Bayern players were like three or four of them were arguing the ref, and Kimmich got a yellow for it. And I was like, ooh, if a blue card ever is introduced... They're suddenly down to nine men here. Like that that is one yeah. thing that actually does get that, that does change the game massively. Like players will be put off arguing things like that because suddenly you go eleven men, suddenly got nine because someone's in the simboom for the next ten minutes. So that's a nice little side note to just throw in there. But yeah, ultimately, um Lazio giving themselves a chance because their tactics paid off. I do find it interesting that when players argue, especially when VAR is in play here, right? They're obviously going to check a decision like that. Yeah. There is there is no doubt that the ref is going to make sure that the decision is correct. I'm not quite sure what they're trying to achieve. Now, obviously, the heat at the moment, obviously, people get riled up. I'm not suggesting that that's not going to happen because we know how emotional football is from a sideline perspective, on the pitch, all of it. But it does kind of make me laugh. I'm like, obviously, that's going to be checked. Yeah, so it's, it's why are you arguing with the ref when someone is going to be looking through the forensic details of exactly what went down there? Also. Kimmich was further away than the referee oh, he was. was. Yeah. <laughs> well, at what point does he think, oh, I must have had a better view of that than the ref? It's a, it's a really strange one. Yeah. I think Kimmich's head's gone a bit at the moment, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and, and understandably so as well. And, and part of that comes down to his manager, right? Yeah, I think, honestly, Tuchel's effect on this team, I think, is, is visible. Um, look, my second takeaway is that, yeah, it was a bad night for Bayern, but they will score in the second leg. I refuse to believe that they go through two legs without scoring a goal. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. I've just talked there about Lazio parking the bus, but they did still give up some chances. Ruthlessness was missing here for Bayern Munich. Jack, they had 17 shots and zero on target. That yeah, is incredible. Not great. That's incredible. Not great, is it? I mean, that cannot continue. 
This is a team that has got Kane, Musiala and Sané up front. Like, just absolute, absolutely insane that those guys, those guys all had opportunities. Like, in the first half, there were four very good opportunities for Bayern Munich. There's one that, that Kane snatches at and, and sticks high and wide that is surprising. I mean, Sané finds him in, the, in a good space. Very unlike Kane to miss in that moment. Um, Musiala stuck one over the bar um, after a really good passage of play, actually. Um, and Tuchel was kind of shaking his head like, how's he missed the target from there? I have to say, I am concerned about how little Harry Kane is involved at the moment. That's two matches in a row now where Kane has barely been used. Like, Bayern's tactics really going to come under the microscope. I mean, they already are, but like even further uh, on the back of these two latest defeats. Um, and when you can't get Harry Kane into a game and you've lost 3-0 to Bayer Leverkusen, 1-0 in a game like this, you've got a problem. If Harry Kane is not scoring goals, you've got a problem. Yeah, I mean, they play Bochum next which should give them an opportunity to bounce back a little bit. Mm -hmm. You'd think it would maybe just give a little bit of breathing room. But also, Bochum will be looking at that just outside the relegation zone and thinking, yeah, yeah, has there ever been a better time to play Bayern and try and put them under the cosh a little bit? Because you know that heads are starting to wobble. And I think this is it. It goes back to that Kimmich point, but it also goes to Kane snatching at chances. Bayern mentally feel a little bit on the edge in a way that maybe they don't usually. Yeah. Normally, they just feel in control of the situation. And if Bayern are beaten, okay, there are obviously exceptions to this rule, but Bayern have been beaten in recent years, before last year at the very least. You've kind of gone, okay, it's because someone has outplayed Bayern or outthought Bayern. It's never because you're like, oh, they've rattled Bayern and got the better of them. And actually, that feels like it's changing right now. It feels like, obviously, there's pressure. I'm not suggesting that it's somewhat out of the blue that, the pressure has descended given what's happened in the last week. But it just feels like suddenly you can get at this team mentally in a way that maybe you couldn't a couple of years back. Yeah, I mean, that'll take me on to my third point, mate. Tuchel really could lose his job here. Um, there were some shots of him um, throughout the game. Literally his head in his hands. Like just looking at the players in despair at what what's going on. I mean, a lot of it was down to the missed chances, but also missed passes that they weren't taking up. The players aren't playing with much enjoyment, and this result is a nightmare for Tuchel. Um, that's their third defeat in the last six games after also losing to Werder Bremen and, and Bayer Leverkusen. They've got three games now between this one and the second leg. They're all league matches. And if all those games don't end in wins, that means that they're still in title contention. And coming into that second leg, it probably could be a game that decides whether Tuchel stay in or not. Because if if they are out of the title race at that point, if, if Leverkusen have managed to extend their lead by the time we get to the second leg and Bayern are going into the game having to win to stay in the Champions League and having that pressure, I don't know if they'll handle it. I mean, this team don't look like they've reacted well to what Tuchel's been saying about them. I mean. He's criticised a lot of this team, hasn't he? Like, yeah. you go yeah. through the course of the season. For some reason, it's probably worth pointing out. There have been, you know, look, obviously, you have to deal with things in different ways and different coaches deal with things in different ways. 
he has had reason to criticize some of his players, whether that's the best method or not to yeah. actually get the best out of them is a very different question. Yeah. But it hasn't worked, has it? Um, no. And, you know, even tonight, he's, selection wise, he goes back to uh, Goretzka next to Kimmich. Goretzka wasn't great, mate. Um, I don't think Goretzka can really complain about um, not being in the team if he's not in the next lineup. Kimmich did okay. Um, but still, Delict's not in the team. He obviously comes on. Delict's going to be an interesting one because Upa Meccano now suspended uh, for the second leg. So Delict, who is not happy at the moment, is he? Let's face it, is has had to come into this game and will be playing from the start for the next one. Um, a player oh, that unless clearly... He, unless he picks Eric Dyer in front of him. I, I guess. guess so, yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact he brought on the lick to head of Dyer tonight tells you something. Went back to a back four tonight. Like, went away from what he did at the weekend. I'm surprised by that whatsoever. No, but it just goes to show how he lost his head at the weekend, doesn't it? So, yeah, he's really under pressure, mate. I think just to kind of round that point off and him going back to four at the back, I think dropping Pavlovich was probably a mistake. He's been one of the brightest sparks in this buying campaign. Yes, okay, I can understand taking a young player out of the firing line a little bit, but also I just think they're a better team when Pavlovich is on the pitch and his set-piece delivery is something that's caused issues for teams since he's come into the Bayern side. Mm. But also, if Bayern don't win the league, which, as you say, if there's more drop points in the next couple of games and Leverkusen can extend that, it's pretty much done and dusted, you'd imagine. They're out of the cup. They lost the Super Cup. I honestly think that if we're still at a seven-point gap when the return leg happens, it might not matter. If you know, if because if Bayern get knocked out by this Lazio side, who have been pretty dreadful in Serie A, let's remind ourselves, then mm. it basically means even if that gap's still at seven, come the second leg, they're out. I think they might pull the trigger anyway. Because one, yeah. we talked about on Wednesday's podcast the fact that they might try and get a jump on Liverpool for mm. Xabi Alonso. But more than that, I think that if they're not going to win anything, and you said it, when was the last time that Bayern went potless? It doesn't happen. But more than that, if you kind of look at it and think, well, if they're out of the Champions League, they're not going to win anything if that gap stays at seven. It might be enough anyway, even if they do win the next three games. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's, it's definitely a valid one. And uh, yeah, Tuchel definitely looks like man in despair tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's come on to the second game tonight, which was PSG to Real Sociedad nil. Interesting one. Um, and the first half, thought Real Sociedad probably the better side. Well, balanced. There wasn't loads in it, but the standout moment was Mikel Marino hitting the bar with Ginny Donnarumma. Absolutely all ends beaten up. It was it was a really good strike and a little yard lower. And I think that's that's in the back of the net. And PSG wouldn't have been able really to complain about it. But I think what was impressive was the way that they moved through the gears in the second half. Now, there's an element of luck to the first goal because Real Sociedad are down to 10 because a player goes off injured and they score with the free man at a corner. But my first takeaway is that PSG's depth is really impressive. And you look at the players that PSG brought off the bench tonight. They brought Marco Asensio, multiple Champions League winner. They brought Luca Hernandez, Champions League winner. They bought Randall Kona Mouani, who costs around, we think, 90 million euros from Eintracht Frankfurt this summer and hasn't been a runaway success. Mm. But 
remains a player who has incredible potential mm-hmm. and also has come out and been like, they will think that was a bargain when I'm done here. And I was like, okay, that's a bold statement, but but fair enough. You got the players that didn't come on. Manuel Agate, who I think is sensational and was Sporting's one of Sporting's best players in the league last year. You look at Gonzalo Ramos, who was arguably the best striker in the Primera. Yeah. Carlos Soler, who has incredible amounts of depth um, and experience in, in his locker. And then Nordi Mukuele, who Bayern were trying to buy in the January window because they really rate him. And then a, a couple of youngsters as well, including Ethan Mbappe. And we'll, we wait to see quite how good he can be. And Kaylor Navas, just in case something happens <laughs> to Donnarumma. That is a remarkable depth. to to be having at this point and the way that they were able to see the end of the game out I thought Asensio in particular now Asensio has hardly set the world alight since he moved to PSG but what is interesting is that when you're in a competition like this being able to bring on players who have been there done it and won it is something we've talked about before and okay it wasn't what they looked for when they brought in Gini Wijnaldum but that was the idea around it Asensio has been around squads with winning mentalities. He understands it. And we've talked about it with Arsenal, right? Bringing in Zinchenko, bringing in Gabi Jesus. Kind of doesn't matter if they're playing or not. Having them in the dressing room allows you to turn contenders into teams that can really push to win things. And I think that's what we've seen in various teams down the years. But I think that the influence of someone like Asensio, the influence of someone like Hernandez coming on here on his birthday, 28th birthday, dropped a bit rude but it is what it is I, I thought that was interesting and it did mean that as you got towards the end of the game and this one stretched you're thinking wow PSG have the ability if they do take the lead against someone to really step on the accelerator pedal as things get into the, the latter end of games and I wonder how important that could be going forward yeah it's a strong mentality to have and I mean it's I guess different to what they've had in the past when You've had Neymar and Messi and Ramos, and you tried all these different things um, to bring that depth and to bring keep that quality and that level of expertise in the squad. Um, this is a different approach to that, and I th- probably a better one, to be honest. I mean, it might be easier to manage, certainly, in terms of expectations and playing expectations. And um, yeah, really interesting situation, but it seems to be working for him. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it takes me on to the second point, which is that Real Sociedad are good, but they're toothless. And this kind of has two parts. The first of it is that in the first half, the Real Sociedad press was ferocious. PSG couldn't get out of the back. They weren't able to play that game that allowed them to start having those runners in midfield. And it meant that they really struggled to actually make a mark on the game. The big chances that PSG had or tried to open up were counterattacks, where we know that they're obviously good and you have to try and caveat against that if you're playing against them. But the way the Real Sociedad moved the ball, the way that they moved their their ball around their own back line in order to to open up those spaces, to create those two-on-ones, to create the overloads in the midfield, all of it really impressive. And yet they didn't have a shot on target tonight. And yes, the second half, they were much, much worse and PSG were much, much better. Those two things are not unlinked they were they were taken aback I think by the way that PSG were able to take it up and also I think the fact that they were probably a bit knackered after 
chasing so hard for this, the first half that they had to step off the press a little bit and it allowed PSG to take a bit more control. But equally, you can't create the amount that they did or, or at least you can't have the opportunities that they carved out in the first half and not test Donnarumma, especially when in this competition we know he has struggled a little bit and when he has been put under pressure, in the group stages in particular, teams have been able to take advantage of the weaknesses within his game. Now, that's not me saying he's a bad goalkeeper because he's clearly not. Sure. But I do think that if you can get to him and start to pressure him, there are mistakes that you can maybe force. They didn't do that at all. And it doesn't matter how good you are for the first 45 minutes in this regard if you can't start to test a goalkeeper. And that's a problem in, in many ways, I think, because it's now five games in a row where Real Sociedad haven't scored. And the kind of future kind of outlook from this is that they have a couple of games now, obviously before the return leg at Anueta, Real Sociedad have to get back into a goal scoring rhythm. And part of the fact that they haven't been able to carve out chances or score of late is that Taki Kubo has obviously been off at the Asian cup. Riazabal has been injured. He missed out tonight by the skin of his teeth, by the sounds of it, but then completely missed the game. So not in the squad you think it's probably not as close as maybe you'd imagine. And there are some key players missing in creative areas, but they have to find that rhythm if they're going to have any chance of turning this around in the second leg, because there was enough in that first half to think, okay, for us, I'll score first at Anahueta with the crowd behind them. You'd imagine that there is an opportunity here for them to, to pull it back, mm. but it has to be done in a, in a kind of way that, you think, okay, Real Sociedad are back in a, in a form where they feel like they can score. Because as soon as these chances started to die out in the first half and, and not come to any real opportunities or clear-cut opportunities, you start to think, ah, oh, they're doing what they've been doing in La Liga for the last couple of games where they have fallen off and suddenly you can't find a space. And if you can't start to test the goalkeeper, you, the momentum of the game is always going to swing. And that's what happened in the second half. They've let you down, mate, haven't they? I mean, you put them on, a, on the chance of an upset and you're going to have to rethink your chances of that one now. How do you rate it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's still a possibility of it happening, but so much of it now rests on what this Barreal side do between now and the second leg because they really do need to get themselves out of this funk they find themselves in in front of goal, I think, in order to have any chance of overturning this. But they will take heart from that first half performance. Yeah, well, hope they turn it around for your sake, mate. Um, not sure they will. I think I've just seen the upset of the week. Yeah, maybe, maybe. All right, last point is that when the midfield can dominate, mm. this PSG side really cook and really cook. And I was a bit surprised that they didn't start Agate at the bottom of the midfield because it does give them that bit of bite in there. But actually, in the second half, as you started to see Ruiz, Vitinha and Zaire Emery knock the ball about between them, you're like, oh, I see what he's doing, completely see what he's doing here. And when the three of them start to find that rhythm and one touch passing and the triangles between them, it's incredibly difficult to get the ball off them. And there's incision to it as well, because the second goal, it starts off with a wonderful bit of play from Usman Dembele, who skins two men in his own half and then knocks it on. But the ball from Vitinha that allows Barcola to, to pick up the ball on the wing and go one-on-one -on -one with his man because Real Sociedad is so stretched is beautiful. And I thought Vitinha was exceptional in particular in the second half. And he's a player that I've always rated, always really, really liked, especially at Porto. He was a player that we've talked about for a long time. But I think when he arrived at PSG, there was an expectation that he was going to be a world beater straight away. And it's taken him some time 
to find his rhythm. When he gets going, there's very few more aesthetically pleasing players to watch in the world. And with Zara Emery's mm. ability to get around the pitch and to make things happen in the final third, and then Fabian Ruiz a little bit further back controlling the play from deep, they have a lot of everything in this midfield. Now, I think Agate still needs to come in if you're playing a team who have a little bit more bite in the attacking third, because if you can press like Real Sociedad did and you do have some goal scorers, PSG looked a little bit lightweight. But when they start to dominate the ball like they did in the second half and when we get those spaces as the game opens up, there are a few more creative midfield trios than this in world football. And I loved watching them in the second half. They were remarkable. Very good, mate. Very good. Uh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Glad you got some joy out of it in okay. the end, despite I do despite really like Luis Enrique. He's one of those. Uh, I, I want him to do well. And look, a lot of this PSG team I really like. Really, really like. It's just also this entire thing that sits over it. If you're like, can't really support PSG in the Champions nah. League because it just feels wrong. So yeah, yeah. who knows? Who knows? I, I mean, you know me. I always support the underdog as it is anyway. So uh, following La Real in this one was was no bad no bad thing, but no. yeah, PSG very, very impressive in the second half and come out with a well-deserved win in the end. And that'll do us for part one. We'll be back after the break to look at big wins for Real Madrid and Manchester City on the road. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and Champions League takeaway. Time for us to take a look now at Tuesday night's action. Dean, you were watching Real Madrid as they travelled to RB Leipzig. And one one nil. What were your takeaways? Well, I've already revealed on this podcast before that Real Madrid do win the Champions League, so they've taken another step towards that. Um, but my first takeaway is Leipzig were genuinely unlucky. Um, a defensive shambles from Real Madrid in the first five minutes. It could easily have been two nil um, after that period of the game. I mean, Benjamin Sesco must have come away from this match wondering how he did not have a couple of goals to his name. On another day, Madrid would not have won this game. They maybe would not have even drawn this game. Um, certainly would not have come away with a clean sheet. It feels incredible that they did. Andre Lunin is Superman, mate. He was he was brilliant. Um, there's a few nerves early on, and he was like, "Oh, is he having a? Is he potentially about to have one here? Is he about to throw one in?" Um, what did but, you think about the goal, the disallowed goal? I, I was a bit puzzled by it, I have to admit. I'm still a bit puzzled by it. So Stress goes onside when he heads the ball in, but there is a player who I believe is Henriks behind the goalkeeper who is a judge to have been interfering with play because he gives him a little nudge. Now, I'm of the opinion that the linesman flags because he thinks Sesko is offside. Yeah. He's not. He's very much not. And I think that they've gone, oh, there is a player offside here. Is he interfering with play? I don't think it's a, oh my God, this is a scandal kind of thing. Because I think there's enough in it to suggest that it's, it's probably just about right by the rules. But it is a 50-50 call I think Real Madrid have just about got the better of. Yeah, I mean, look, if I was a Leipzig fan, I'd be furious, uh, yeah, put it yeah, that exactly. way. Yeah, um, look, Lunin made nine saves on the night. It's the most... I believe, by a Real Madrid goalkeeper in the Champions League since 2003. Um, it was, he, did, he did have a really good night and that was bad, bad news for Leipzig. Um, 
you know, it's particularly a good one from Sesco towards the end of the game. It's actually on the back of Brahim pulling up injured. Um, makes a great stop there. He's a really good goalkeeper, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> he, he really is. And I mean, I'm just third choice goalkeeper. Pretty good, actually. Yeah, I think he's better than the others, to be honest. I'm not oh, sure he's better than Courtois, but he might be better than Kepa. He's better than Kepa, mate. He definitely. I mean, if this Kepa was in goal for this one, there's absolutely no chance they're coming out of a clean sheet. Uh, you know what, though? Courtois, actually, maybe not. Quite a lot but... of this was about shot-stopping, and that's actually what Kepa's quite good at, is just claiming crosses, etc. that he's not possibly. quite as good at. I still wouldn't have that faith in him. Um, mm. But yeah, my main take yeah, is... Uh, Leipzig will be scratching their heads thinking, right, if we haven't scored there, how are we going to score at the Bernabeu? Because they were there for the taking early doors. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you're probably right. It did feel a bit unjust in terms of the way they went out. But they look, were awful, mate. Rodri were all over the place in the early stages of that game. The defence was just a shambles. But that does, I'm going to go straight to point number two because what held them up was Chouameni. Um is in danger of actually becoming a centre-back and he doesn't want that to happen. <laughs> he, he does not want to be a centre-back. We assume. We assume. Well, I, I think he's hinted in interviews that he really doesn't. Um, and so he's played out of position, but I'm not sure it really is out of position. I mean, he's a defensive midfielder anyway, so the instincts are there. It's about not 10 the yards back. biggest jump, is it? Yeah. Not really. About 10, 20 yards back from where you normally spend a game. Um, He's a lifesaver, mate. He's, he's, he was brilliant. He was absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's not the first time we've seen him um, help him out in that, in that role. Um, if he continues to... Either. No, I was going to say, if he continues to do this, he'll be playing there for the rest of his career. He, he looks pretty natural at it to me. Um, and even when it comes down to last gasp, defending and timing of challenges, he's got that in the bag too. He's too versatile for his own good, to be honest. There's no chance he's going to spend his career playing defensive midfield because he's too good at doing other stuff. Um, good Ancelot- sixes are hard to come by, though. So that, there is that. Someone will be like, by the way, if you come join us, we'll just play you at six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds yeah. cool. But Ancelotti's doing this, right? Camavinga's a left back now. Chiuameni's a centre back. He's going to move everyone. Jude's a centre forward. He's basically bought all the best centre midfielders in the world and just gone, I was going to play them in other positions. Yeah, it's like, well, they, they, they're that a right good. winger. They can yeah. all play everywhere. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, Ancelotti said, he's like, you know, um, missing three centre-backs. Chouameni was fantastic. It's an emergency for now, but he's a fantastic player in any position. You put him in, uh, even a centre-back. So, yeah, Ancelotti's not moving him from there. Uh, that's it. Uh, Chouameni's done, mate. He is now a centre-back. <laughs> uh, Nacho didn't have a great game, so you're right. He, he did actually mate. bail Nacho out time and time again. I mean, that's the other three defenders up. didn't have a great night, to be honest. Like, he was the only one, really, for me, that comes out with, with credit him and the goalkeeper. Um, I mean, point three. Let's talk about the goal. Brahim is brilliant. It's a 1-0 night for Real Madrid. You're looking at someone pulling something out of the bag. It's a night when you're without Jude Bellingham and Brahim is given the unenviable task, I guess, of filling his role and being the guy that's going to have to come up with something. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be him or Vinny, really, that you're looking at. You say um, unenviable. Imagine the the kind of joy you must get from the idea of being like, oh, by the way, you're our man and we're Real Madrid and we need you <laughs> yeah, to I mean, deliver tonight. The, the, the pride. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe you're right because he took it 
absolutely to heart was like, okay, I'll do that. I'll decide the game. I'm just going to turn into Messi for a second. Watch this. And just like literally Messi-esque dribbling and finishing. Unbelievable. Like absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant goal. Um, and an insane ability to do that in a, in a match that was poised like that in the Champions League. Um, Real Madrid are made for big moments in big competitions and he's got it, mate. He's absolutely got it. He's got that X factor, doesn't he? I, I love watching Brahim play. I love watching him when he was at Milan and I love when he gets his opportunities. And this is it. This isn't the first time that he stepped in for Bellingham and been the man in the Champions no. League already this season, is it? And it's not the, you know, it won't be the last. No. What a player to have to bring into this setup and be like, hey, here you go. Here's the freedom of the pitch. Go and run riot. And He's a delight to watch. I hope that injury isn't too serious because it does make me really happy that Brahim's getting this opportunity to, to shine. And you're right. This, this was a messy s goal. There's also the pass for when Vinicius hits the post later on. It's created by Brahim in the middle of the park, setting, setting that up. And there are just moments where you watch him and you're like, oh, you dazzle, don't you? And I really do hope that there is a point in his career, whether it's for Real Madrid or elsewhere, where he is just given the keys to the castle for someone and just given yeah. that opportunity to be like, you are the main man, you create, you be the guy because he has that ability. And there is a little bit, you know, these injuries and the fact that he's had to go off here is, is a bit disconcerting. The player he reminds me of a little bit is Paolo Dybala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of their play style, but I just mean in terms of like, oh, is he ever going to step up and be the man? For yeah. someone, is he always going to be the guy? Because that's where I want him to be almost already. But if not right now, then in two, three years' time. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, the way he's got a wand of a left foot, hasn't he? So um, I guess that that helps. Does help. Always nice seeing a left left peg in, in beautiful action. But yeah, remarkable. Brilliant from Brahim. No Bellingham, no problem. All right, the other game was Holders. Manchester City travelling to Parkin to play Copenhagen, who lost 3-1 on their own patch. And the atmosphere in the stadium was really cool. Um, City didn't give a monkeys. It's kept the ball for the first seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. if, if there's any way. The Copenhagen crowd started by booing every touch from a City player. Within about two minutes, they were like, we physically can't keep this up. It's just impossible. <laughs> there exhausted. is no way. <laughs> There's no way we could do this for 90 minutes. They've had all the ball. Um, and look, I think my first takeaway is on Copenhagen, which is that the winter break really matters. Now they've been off for three months. The Danish season isn't like the rest of the Scandinavian leagues in that it doesn't follow a summer schedule. It still follows the rest of the European leagues, but it's impossible to play for a couple of months in the winter. So they start earlier and they finish a bit later. And you could tell. Now, this game was always going to be difficult. It was the lowest ranked side in the competition against the highest ranked side in the competition. But I think that it's absolutely no surprise whatsoever that the player who shone brightest for Copenhagen, who was new signing Magnus Matson, not just because of the goal, but also I thought his all-round performance in the middle was, was pretty stunning, to be honest, in the face of what was a relentless City yeah. side. No surprise whatsoever that he's come from the Eredivisie in this transfer window. He has had three months off. He is fit, firing and ready to go. And but you felt a bit for them because the coach was out beforehand. He was like, we've tried our very best. 
is there's nothing we can do about this. This is how the season works in Denmark. And, you know, we, we've done our best. We've played some games in against some Czech sides in full stadiums to try and recreate that match. There is such, there's no way. such Look, a deficit. There is a flip side to this, which is that in the group stages of European competitions, I think Scandinavian sides who have been playing through the summer or the Danish sides who start earlier probably have a jump on everybody else because they've been playing football for a little bit longer and therefore they can perform. This isn't the first time I've talked about winter break. Now it's a bit different in Norway, obviously, as I mentioned, but Birdo Glimt a couple of years back, absolutely blitzed it in the Europa League. And you're like, wow, who on earth are these lads? They're unbelievable. Mm. They come back after the winter break and you're like, oh, suddenly they don't look unbelievable anymore. They've had an an incredible group stage and they'll crash out in the playoff round of the round of 16 because they've literally had three months without doing anything. And it's incredibly hard, I think, to to make sure that that sits up. But it's just the way of it. And that's the way of the European season. There's not much we can do about it. But I thought you could tell, especially towards the end of the game. Now, they were going to be leggy from chasing City around for uh, two minutes anyway. But yeah. it almost looked like they were absolutely out on their feet. And that's probably to do with a little bit of match sharpness and match fitness that just simply can't be there if you've had the last three months off. Yeah, I mean, that absolutely makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to City now. And just got to say that, obviously, De Bruyne scores, Foden assists. We talk about the players who step up. And at the end, De Bruyne assists, Foden the other way around. We talked about Haaland scoring at the weekend. Bernardo Silva, who scores the second, is remains the most criminally underrated player on the planet. Like... The way that he sits so seamlessly into the City side, I maintain that Bernardo is almost as important to City as KDB is, almost as important to City as Rodri is, and probably on a par with Erling Haaland. What Bernardo does every game is astonishing. He is just a delight to watch, but equally, I've said it before, he gets into any team in the world. His work rate is remarkable. His ability to snap into challenges is remarkable. His on-ball technique is remarkable. His anticipation is remarkable. Everything about Bernardo Silva is remarkable. He is one of the best footballers I've ever seen play the game. And when you watch him, and I, you know, we're listening to some City podcasts today to try and get a feel of where they were with it, because it felt like a strange game. I heard some people, you know, speaking on the internet, being like, why would a neutral watch this? And I was actually like, I was quite excited to see what happened, considering what happened in Copenhagen and in Parken in the group stages, considering the fright they gave Bayern Munich, considering the nightmares they gave Manchester United. I didn't think they were going to win it, but I was interested in seeing what City turned up and how Mm. they respected it. And one of the podcasts, 9320, was basically like, if the big games for the rest of the season, De Bruyne, Foden, Bernardo and Rodri play, we win. There was no mention of Haaland. There was no mention of, you know, some of the key players, John Stones or Ruben Diaz or any of these players who have been so crucial. And I just thought that's the company that Bernardo should be keeping. And I appreciated it. And I don't think that in a lot of other places, Bernardo is getting that love. But the idea and the finish for the goal, he's already scored, by the way, more goals this season than he did last. But the finish for the goal is stunning. The anticipation to be aware of that ball dropping to him on a kind of off chance is incredible. He is just such a good footballer. Yeah, I don't know why he's so underappreciated. I, I, I can't really put my finger on that. 
Um, I think again, you know, we talk about versatility. Yeah. It's like the world's biggest weakness and strength at the same time, because you're not like, oh, Bernardo starts every game on the right wing, does he? Because he doesn't. He drops into the no. middle. He plays, he plays deeper. He plays in the 10. I don't really I know what position he everything. plays. That's because um, he, he basically plays them all. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, also away from the pitch, he's not looking for headlines, is he? He's not, he's not... Um, he's a good bloke. He's not, yeah, he's, he's, he's just, it seems like a decent bloke. He's not imposing himself on other people very much. He's like a lumberjack. <laughs> no, just Bernardo. Just, just great like at everything he does. Great at life. Yeah. Shouts out Bernardo all day. We appreciate day. him. Yeah, we love you, Bernardo, man. Ranks FC. Uh, maintains you are one of the greatest uh, to ever do it. Um, right, my last point on this is that City aren't perfect, but they're well on the way. No, I thought you were going to say Copenhagen and then force a comeback. Oh no, I don't think I don't think we can say that one. And two one, you go well. Anything can happen. Although I'd still be very very wary of suggesting that Copenhagen are going to turn up to the Etihad and win, considering City's record at that ground. But. You know, obviously Edison makes the mistake, which leads to the goal. Mm. I think it's basically the only thing City do wrong for the entire game. And it's a pretty big mistake, you know. It's not one yeah, of those that you go, oh, he's just he's just knocked one out of play by accident or whatever. It's lazy, to be honest, from Edison. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that Pep will hate because it's not necessarily a player making a mistake. I don't think it's, it, it's the fact that it felt like he just wasn't paying attention, like he was comfortable. And that's not a great place to be at 1-0 up in a Champions League game. No matter who the opposition is, you have to be switched on. And I think that Pep will have been absolutely raging. And to be honest, Edison's a little bit lucky that Bernardo does score that before halftime because if they'd gone in at one all, you can imagine that dressing room being absolutely fire and fury despite the fact they were completely dominating the game. But City's press, their swarm, relentless, out of possession when they let it happen, they were just to a man perfect. And I thought that the way that they forced Copenhagen into errors, in particular in that second half, was, you know, nigh on as good as you can get. There is, you know, always a level that we talk about City starting to hit the gears and hit the groove at this point. Haaland should have probably had a hat trick second half. And it was unlucky, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a little bit unlucky, but equally you kind of look at it and go, wow, imagine if he'd been on top four. He could have won 6-1 a ground where, which nearly swallowed up Bayern in the group stages and did swallow up Manchester United. That's how far City are away from everybody else. They could have yeah. gone there and absolutely turned the start. And actually, weirdly, if they had gone in at one all at halftime, you reckon they come out and put five away in the second half? I don't think you'd, you'd count against it, would you? Because that's how, that's how good they can be. They are not quite there, but they are starting. And this isn't news, but... Like the, the level of on, ominous on the scale now is starting to tip over into that red zone at the top. You're like, oh, girls, here they come. And yeah. this is with Steer, still, still a couple of big players injured. Obviously, Grealish goes off injured in this one. Guardiola not fit to play. Everyone's like, oh, City are at full capacity. They're not yet. They're not. That's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I can very clearly remember having these discussions um, in December about where we were at with Man City they obviously were in a bit of a strange run of form. Um, they obviously had that draw, <laughs> draw against Crystal Palace. Um, they'd lost to Aston Villa. They'd drawn against Tottenham. They'd had draws with Liverpool and Chelsea. They were falling behind. People are talking about who's going to win the league. 
And I was like, they'll go to the Club World Cup. They've got De Bruyne coming back while they're there. Haaland will be back by the time they get back from it. They'll win the Club World Cup. They'll come back and that'll be the end of it. They went to the Club World Cup. They've won 11 straight matches. Also, they're 13 unbeaten now in all competitions. Do you know what's funny about that? The Palace draw is the first of them. (laughs) So if they were to win every game or go unbeaten from here to the end of the season, they'd be like, oh, that unbeaten run that started with a draw to Crystal Palace. (laughs) It's not quite the the scoreline you expect from Man City. Yeah, but they are... They feel like they're unstoppable at the moment and they, they've just got so much depth. Um, yeah. What more can we say? There's a reason that Real Madrid and Man City are the two favourites to win this tournament and we've just summed it all up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and with that, it's probably time for us to call it a day here on Champions League Takeaway. We hope you've enjoyed sitting through and working through this week's Champions League action with us. We will, of course, be back next week with another episode, the second episode of these knockout stages but for now all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to my co-host Mr Dean Jones cheers mate I've been Jack Collins this has been Ranks FC thank you so much for listening if you're new here please make sure you're subscribed you're ticked along and make sure you're tuned in for all the rest of the content that we produce here we'll be back next week but for now take it easy gang peace final seconds of the game a chance to score and The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.